So I was uh, talking to the bishop the other day and uh, told him that I was thinking of writing a soap opera about my move to Texas. <laughs> some of you are aware, in fact, somebody just asked me this morning if I'd finally been able to register my vehicle. The answer is no, not, not quite yet. <laughs> some of the things with moving for me have been familiar to all of you. You know, you have to change utilities, you have to arrange for things, you get things hooked up, all, the, all those kinds of things. You know, you get your insurance, etc., etc. And then there are all these things when you move from one country to another that you discover there's these little extra things. And I looked up all the things that you need, for instance, to register a vehicle. And I showed up at the tax office and I had my stack of papers. And the lady went through the papers and marked things down and then she gave me a list of other things <laughs> that I had to go and do. And so it's, it's an ongoing adventure. But one of the things that happens each and every step of the way is I have to have some kind of identity thing. So it could be a passport, it could be an account number. I almost had my account number memorized for my um, service provider for uh, cable and TV or cable and internet and so on because I, the secret is call them 12 times and, and, and you might get things straightened out. So I, I know it's 0770, it's, yeah. It's because each time you have to prove who you are, or that you're the person who's authorized to do it, or whether or not you're even allowed to do it. So you have to be able to have some way of saying who you are. But we can also take that a little further. You know, who, who are you? This question of identity. I mean, there's a lot of ways we can answer that question. Who are you? Well, I, I can show up every time and say, my name is Fraser Lawton. But they want more than that. And as you think about that, when you introduce yourself to someone or you meet someone and, and you answer that question, who are you? There's, we always want more than just a name, don't we? Because we need some way to connect, some way to understand, some way to um, realize something about ourselves and about this person we're talking with. So who am I can include things like your name, but your family, or where you're from, or where you were born, or what organization you're part of, or what job you do, what team you root for, who you vote for, all those kinds of things. But we can push it even further. And if you're a philosopher at all, you can say, who am I? That goes to the deeper thing inside your heart. Things like... Why are you on earth? What is your purpose? What is it that makes you, you? We get to the deeper questions of life, the things that really come out when we bump up against something that's difficult or challenging. And so it was that Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, has this question of who am I that comes before him. We have the beginning of his book that we read this morning. We read the first four verses from chapter 1 and then we skip to the first four verses of chapter 2. But if you read all of chapter 1, you, you, you kind of get the same sense of things. And Habakkuk is crying out to the Lord and saying, basically, God, where are you? This world is a mess. Everywhere I look, I see violence. I see injustice. I see brokenness. 
God, you're supposed to be good. Why aren't you doing something about it? It's something that may have gone through other people's minds from time to time as well. A basic question, if God is good, why is there evil in the world? If God is love, how come there's violence like this? And Habakkuk is like any of us. He's looking around at the world that he's living in and the society that he's a part of and his own family and his own surroundings and his own city. And his heart says, God is good. God has called me. The law is good. And yet this world is such a mess. God, why have you caused me to see these things and yet you don't answer? And I've been struck so many times reading this. That in chapter 1 we hear this, this depth of, of frustration and questioning and angst that's in his heart. And yet as chapter 2 begins he says, but I will stand at my watch post. I will stand on the ramparts and I will wait on the Lord to see what he will say. <coughs> Part of Habakkuk's answer to who am I? was not simply his name, but was the sense that I had to call on my life from God. And even though I see all this confusion in my heart and I see this mess around me, I will wait on the Lord. There's a depth of faithfulness that is within him. And so it is, he says, even though I'm in this place of struggle, this place of confusion, yet I will wait because I know that God will answer, and I will wait until He answers. Most of, okay, me, the hard part is the until. It's that faithfulness in the midst of the mess, in the midst of wanting an answer right now, and not getting the answer that I want right now, and still being faithful, and saying, nonetheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's a quotation. Does anybody know where it comes from? Jesus said that. Do you remember when he said it? In the Garden of Gethsemane, as he's kneeling there, crying out, pouring out his heart before God, as he's about to be arrested and crucified. And Jesus says, Oh, Father, that you would take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I want, but you want. And that's what is in Habakkuk's heart, is that faithfulness. Now the Lord does answer Habakkuk. <coughs> and he says, the answer is, is coming. Write it on tablets, huge, so that even a runner could read it. This is like God, sort of like God typing in all caps. <laughs> Do you hear me? Is this, this, the sense of this. And the message of the Lord is, I want you to write this so big that even if you were running along, I don't know if you've ever tried reading while you've gone running. I never have, mostly because I don't really run. <laughs> but, I, but I would dare you to read this out loud while you ran up and down the aisle. But if you write it in large enough letters, you probably could. And that's what God is saying. God is saying, I want you to understand this. There is still a vision. My plan is still there. And if it seems to tarry, 
Wait for it, because it is coming at the right time. It will not fail. And the righteous will live by their faithfulness, by their faith. They wait on me, because my time is right. Our issue so often we want what we want when we want it. And sometimes we even have this arrogance that we think somehow God owes us somehow an answer. And so it is that God has to speak to Habakkuk and say, yes, I know. I know the world is broken. I know there is violence all around you. And I have a plan, but I don't want to answer the plan, answer your question your way right now, because that would mess up the ultimate plan that is going to ultimately deal with the problem that you see. So Habakkuk, hang on, just as you have. Now this lesson we, we can take to heart and we learn from it because we see as time goes by through these scriptures how God is speaking to us. And Jesus was teaching the apostles. And the apostles hear this message and they hear the commission of what a disciple is to be. And they're seeing the plan that Habakkuk was told was coming is starting to unfold in front of them. And they realize the enormity of what is being asked. And so they cry out to Jesus and they say, Lord, increase our faith. And they have this picture in their head, perhaps, or some, some, maybe they don't even have a picture. They just have the sense of what faith is. Lord, increase our faith. We need faith to be able to do all these things. We need faith to be what you want us to be. And Jesus' answer was, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, which is a picture that is meant to convey the very smallest amount. You could say to this mulberry tree, you uprooted and planted in the ocean. Planted, not picked up and thrown into the water, but planted. Could you imagine walking along the beach and seeing a tree <laughs> growing in the water? Not rooted down underneath that it's flooded, but actually rooted in the water. I mean, it's just a bizarre thing. Jesus said, really what he's saying is the question isn't the amount of faith. Any amount of faith will accomplish what needs to be accomplished. The question isn't your faith level. See, we, I think we sometimes, the apostles were human like us. And sometimes I think we get this impression that Faith is like a commodity. And that there's some kind of faith tank that we have. And if you get up to two pints, three pints, a gallon of faith, then you can cash it in and get what you want. And that's not what faith is at all. And that's not even the purpose of faith. Faith isn't accumulating enough of something that we convince God to do something for us. That's not faith at all. Faith is taking God at His word and then acting on it. That's faith. And when we step out in faithfulness, we'll discover all the things that we can't even begin to ask or imagine happen all around us. It's not because we have a measure, because we're good enough or special enough or, or put in, I don't know, build up enough faith credits to cash in. There's a reason Jesus tells this story. He says, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this tree, be planted in the sea, and it would be. 
Now, which of you, if you had a slave? Now, of course, the apostles, none of them had slaves. They weren't wealthy men. But Jesus said, if, if you had a servant, you had a slave, you had an employee. And the employee came in from doing their duty. They'd done their job. They'd plowed the field. They'd taken care of the sheep. And they come in to do their next job. What, what master would say to them, Oh, no, 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 no. You sit here. Have your dinner. Of course not, Jesus said. He would say to them, Okay, now it's time to eat. I need you to get my supper ready. And once I've had my supper, then you, you can eat and drink. And when you have done your duty, Jesus said, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, we are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. When you have done your duty, when you have done your duty, should throw our minds back to Habakkuk. <clears throat> saying, I will stand at my watch post. I'll be on the ramparts watching, waiting on the Lord. I will be doing, I will be about the business my Father has given me to do. And Jesus says to the apostles, when you have done the business your Father has given you to do, all as you can say is, Lord, we did what you said to do. That's not something that's worthy of some kind of extra praise. That's, that's like our, our reason to be. And, that, and that's the faithfulness, the living out of what God has handed over to us. That is who we are. It's in that place where God's presence is. That's the place where His kingdom is expressed and revealed. It's in the daily living that God's plan is being worked out. It's not in us dictating to God, this is what I need you to do, this is what I want you to do, and this is how I want you to do it, and I need it by Friday too. <laughs> this is about being constantly reminded in our hearts of who we truly are, and just continuing to do what He has given us to do. And sometimes it's easy to forget and get distracted and, and to be wrapped up in things. Especially in difficult moments and when we see violence all around us and when we wonder what on earth is wrong with these people. You can apply that to politics, you can apply that to your utility, you can apply it to registering a vehicle. <laughs> Because life is like that. We live in a world that still experiences the effects of brokenness and sin. But God has begun to invade this earth with His presence and with His kingdom. And where we go, there the kingdom of God is. Where you go, if you are a believer, the kingdom of God is going. With all its fruit, with all its power, with all its effectiveness, with all its ability to bring change. We may not see nations 
vote the way we want them to vote or change the way we want them to change. But in the moment and in the place where we are, if we are being faithful to the mission that God has given to us, the kingdom of God is being expressed. We are called to faithfulness. Yes, we still have those questions and those stirrings that go inside us. Why are things so broken? Because the world has fallen into sin and the devil hates us and is trying to destroy us. <coughs> well, God, what are you going to do about it? Actually, the Lord says, I already have done. <coughs> because when Jesus hung on the cross, his last words were, it is finished. Or, it is completed. Or it is fulfilled. Now we live in a time where the power of evil is on decline. Oh, it's thrashing. It's fighting back. But God's plan is going to be fulfilled. The vision still remains. Do you not see it? Wait for it. Hang on to it. And you need to be reminded, I'm not pointing the finger at you, you all, us all, need to be reminded that there is a vision, there is a plan, it is being carried out, it is being worked out in God's appointed timing. And we need to trust and rest in that. Things don't always go the way we would design them, the way we would write the story, but we need to remember we are not the author of the story. Paul wrote something to Timothy that I wish he didn't write. There are quite a few things actually in this book that I find that I wish weren't there. Chapter 1, verse 8 of 2 Timothy. Do not be ashamed then of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel. Relying on the power of God. Wouldn't it be great if you could just say, God, let's, let's just erase that. Not join me in the suffering, but join me in the celebration. But Paul recognizes that times get very difficult for believers. We, most of us, have lived in a world where suffering for the gospel is more a concept than a reality. But there are parts of this world where I mean, in, in this very moment, someone is being arrested, someone is hiding, someone's being put to death because they believe in Jesus and live their life that way. And I'm sure they're crying out, God, where are you in this? I see violence around. And yet, they are so faithful. Their hearts are filled with joy. And it's not because there's something wrong with them. It's because their eyes are not on the struggle of this moment. But their eyes and their hearts are taking at face value what God said. There is a plan. There is a time. I will never let you go. As bad, as horrible, as awful as whatever moment you are in. You are not out of my hand. And that happens because they know who they are and they know whose they are. 
and that the suffering of this world does not compare to the glory of the presence of our God. This is a passing moment. Life with our Lord is eternal. And so God says to us, I want you to have eternal eyes. I want you to live eternally out of that and for that and resting in that, knowing who you are and whose you are. Know what it means to belong to Jesus, to be a believer in Christ. That existential question, who are you? Not just your name, not just where you work, but do you belong to Jesus? And if you belong to Jesus, that is who you are. And that should change everything about the way you see the world, the way you think, the way you experience the world. And so it is that Paul writes to Timothy. <coughs> Timothy, I long for you. I pray for you night and day. And I remember the faith that you have. The faith that was in your grandmother and in your mother. And I am sure lives in you. That I am sure is not an expression of it's not a castaway expression. It's something Paul said that was a fact. I am sure, Timothy, that faith also lives in you. Why? Because Paul knew Timothy. <coughs> they spent time together. They suffered together. They experienced joy together. They ministered together. They prayed together. And Paul said, rekindle that gift that is within you. The gift that was released in you when I laid hands on you and I prayed for you. Paul is writing out of that experience of knowledge of knowing who Timothy is. He knows that gift was, was released. And so as he writes to Timothy, he's reassuring Timothy to say, that gift, that moment, wasn't just a memory. It wasn't something you imagined. It was true. I was there. When I prayed for you, that gift was released. So Timothy, rekindle that gift. Remember who you are. Fan into flame what God has poured into you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline who saved us and called us with a holy calling. Us. You. Remember, brothers and sisters, who you are. Not just what it says on your birth certificate or your passport or your social security card. Not just your name. Not just the family. Not just where you were born. Not whether or not you're cheering for the right football team. But that you belong to Jesus Christ. Remember the gift that He has released in you. Remember the calling that God has for you. He has called you to be an expression of the kingdom of God. The very presence of God living on earth. Just because you're there. Not because you earned it. Not because you deserve it. Not because you have this huge gallon of faith. But because of who you are. You belong to Jesus. Where you are, Jesus is. <clears throat> Where you are, the Holy Spirit is there. And it can be ugly, it can be difficult, it can be frustrating, it can be discouraging. And so we kindle into flame that remembrance 
that God has a plan, that God is doing something. We might not see it, we might not feel it, that doesn't matter. God is always faithful. His word never passes away. He is always with us. He always holds us in the palm of His hand. And where we are, the kingdom of God is. And who knows what will happen. And so in faithfulness, we just keep on doing what He's given us to do. Secure in the knowledge that as we do that, God is doing more than we could ever ask or imagine. And so as we pray here this morning, we pray that God would rekindle that within us. That the power of the Holy Spirit would be released in our lives. And that where we go, that little grain of mustard seed would be released. Let us pray. Faithful God, we thank you for who you are. And that who we are doesn't depend on us, but depends on you. Lord, as Paul reminded Timothy, so we're reminded that it is through your grace and your presence that we are who we are, your children, your people. Lord, we thank you for your unfathomable love and grace. We thank you that you have called us. We thank you that you are always faithful. We thank you that we are always in your hand. So, Father, we ask that today, in this moment, you would rekindle within us that knowledge of who we are. Father, I pray for a revelation of your love in each heart here today. I also ask, Lord, for a revelation of the gift that you've released in us, that your presence goes with us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, fan into flame your fire. Let us be a people, God, who are on fire for you, by you, through you, and that you be glorified in us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.